Return to the program at this juncture is our resident Trump expert, adjunct professor of law at Northwestern University and author and the person that put together the Trump timeline we've referred to many times on this program and has been recently contributing to Common Dreams, our expert on Trump and our legal expert, Stephen J. Harper. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Steve. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, um, I lost my bet that Trump would not be indicted. When we first had you on this program a long time ago, you outlined the numerous legal um, obstacles in Trump's path. And as time went on, he wasn't being indicted or charged by anybody. I was coming to think that it wasn't going to happen. But thankfully, I'm wrong. Yep, the dam has been broken. I I need to ask you about the fact that this um, this is in federal court, is it not? No. Trump it's a state. Is in the state court, yep, Manhattan County. Okay, they've been talking Manhattan County, but wasn't it the sixth district? Isn't is that that is a state court in Manhattan? Then he's in he's in the state court system now, um, which if he were to stay there and actually wind up in prison would put him at Rikers Island for a while, which would be <laughs> kind of an interesting twist, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Well. Um, Talking before, uh, we were, I was really pessimistic when Alvin Bragg looked like he was firing some, or some of the prosecutors were resigning in protest. Cyrus Vance was looking into the case but didn't go anywhere before he stepped down. We'd mentioned previously, I guess, that, that Bill Barr had had some pressure on, on Cy Vance along the way. The timing is curious on that because over the weekend, Vance mentioned that he was told by the Southern District of New York, that is the federal court in New York that eventually was the subject of Michael Cohen's uh, plea deal. Vance in Manhattan was told to stand down. Now, at the time that that would have happened, as nearly as I can piece together, you know, reading between the lines of Vance's comments, that would have probably happened at a time before Barr was actually the attorney general. It probably happened sometime in 2018, given that Vance said he was surprised after Cohen pled guilty, which was in 2018, that SDNY then, uh, that is the Southern District of New York, dropped the case. But it does seem possible, certainly, that after Barr became attorney general, that could be why the Southern District of New York never picked the case up again. But it's hard to know for sure. Maybe someday Jeffrey Berman, who was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, will tell us why it is that after somebody in that office told Cy Vance to stand down, and he did for over a year, they never picked up the ball and, and ran with it against Trump, who was infamous individual one in the case to which Cohen pled guilty. Right. There's something, I think, amusing about the fact that Michael Cohen went to jail for making a hush money payment, and the guy that the hush money payment was made for is now saying, nope, I didn't do any of that. I'm not guilty of any of these charges. That's correct. The interesting thing about, uh, about what Bragg has done here is if they pursue it correctly, if they play it out as, as it's sort of teed up, this isn't just a hush money case anymore. This is yet another conspiracy involving Trump's effort to win the 2016 election. He had Trump Russia for a long time, and the facts about all that are, are not really disputed. Putin wanted Trump to win. Trump's campaign embraced the help, and Trump did everything he could to obstruct the investigation into all of that. If you think about it, and the way that uh, Bragg is portraying it, this is really much more than a hush money case. This is a much broader conspiracy aimed at the 2016 election. That's a pretty appealing narrative. They can sustain it through a through a jury trial. Right. It wasn't just a hush money payment so that you know so that the porn star didn't talk. It was so a porn star won't talk and lose me the election because if the public finds out that I'm dallying with porn stars, they might not like it. 
even broader than that. It involves a conspiracy that includes uh, David Pecker of the National Enquirer, AMI, and Michael Cohen in a broad range of activities that's not limited to Stormy Daniels in that payoff, but there's also this story that I guess turned out not to be true when the, after they investigated it, involving a payoff to a doorman, Trump Tower, who claimed to have a story for the National Enquirer involving Trump's fathering an illegitimate child. And then there's the Karen McDougal payoff. All of these are part of a, a broader conspiracy involving those three and, and probably others. I'm, my guess is that before this is over, you're going to see Trump's uh, financial officer, who's already been convicted relating to Trump organization stuff in his serving time, Alan Weisselberg. You know, he was in the middle of this. I don't know what his role is, but conspiracy really goes to efforts to influence the 2016 election. It, it no longer falls neatly into the, why are we suing this guy for, you know, basically his sexual exploits? Because we all know that those things don't stick anyway. It's sort of tawdry and, and people kind of bristle at it, at the notion of sort of invading somebody's uh, personal life. But when you when you realize that what's happening and what he's trying to accomplish is, is, is the orchestration of a scheme that is really designed to help him win the 2016 presidential election, it takes on a whole different level of significance and meaning. And, and the various hooks that they used to get there, namely the business records that had to be falsified in order to show the payments were for something other than what they were actually for, which was to influence the, the election, those are crimes that then allow the district attorney to say, hey, you know what, these aren't just misdemeanors. That, that's the sort of thing that moves it up into the realm of, of felony. And that's why all of the counts against Trump, the 34 counts, are felony. The other thing that's interesting about this indictment and the statement of facts, it doesn't come through in the indictment, but it's clear from the, the accompanying statement of facts, is that there's also an underlying uh, tax angle to this. That is that the the participants were involved in mischaracterizing these payments in books and records for tax purposes. That would be another sort of hook that would get you from the world of misdemeanor you know, business records, which to which a jury without anything more is likely to say or, or often will say, well, so what? You know, who cares? Some documents in a, some corporation has some, some business records that aren't quite right. Who cares? Well, all of a sudden, if you're talking about tax evasion, that, that, that too then becomes a an additional potential hook. But we'll find out more, I guess, as the time goes on, because I would expect one of the first things that Trump's team will do is, is file a motion asking the prosecutors to say, hey, tell me exactly what laws you're relying on to claim this conspiracy. What are the election laws? What are the tax laws? Flesh it out. Yeah, I watched on, I guess it was MSNBC, as Trump's lawyers came out and started barking about how there's nothing here and he's got nothing. They weren't specific and blah, 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 blah. And I guess the sad reality here is that he doesn't have to make an appearance in court again till December 4th. And in New York, you can appeal everything every step of the way. Yep. It's not like the federal system and most state courts where you have to wait uh, absent extraordinary orders. Like, you know, a preliminary injunction is, is appealable immediately because it has immediate impact on people. But in New York, it's, it's a much broader standard. You can appeal... The judge denies the motion to dismiss. You don't have to wait at the end of the trial, as you would in a federal court, for example. If a judge rules on a discovery issue in a way that you don't like and issues an order to that effect, you can appeal that. If, as is already likely from what they've said, Trump moves to change the venue from uh, the county court in Manhattan to somewhere else, 
in New York, and the judge denies that motion, that would be appealable. And each one of those orders could conceivably lead to a, an appeal. And that's going to prolong the process agonizingly, I, I fear. Clearly, this is going to stretch it out literally for years. I think it's a good bet that it, the case is not likely to go to trial before the November 24 election. I mean, stranger things have happened. It's, it, it just seems, it seems likely, given that, that Trump's standard approach to everything is to you know, delay, 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 and then delay some more. This is one where he really has to do it because the, the downside risk to him is so high at the end of the road. Uh, although as a first offender, uh, I guess so-called experts in New York tell me he probably wouldn't get jail time, although 34 felony counts is a lot. And speaking of the 2016 election, when we were talking recently, it sort of whooped me upside the head that all of these crimes related to Russiagate and all sorts of obstruction of justice issues while Trump was president could have been prosecutable, but uh, alas, uh, the statute of limitations has run out on that. That's right. There's still a few left. I'm probably the only one who remembers at this point, although there are probably few of us <laughs> in the cottage industry of Trump that have that have kept track of this. But the Mueller report, volume two in particular, it went into great detail with respect to about a dozen or so specific potential charges for obstruction of justice relating to Trump. And, and they went into it in such specificity that it identified the obstructive act, you know, the connection to the, to the wrongdoing, and even went so far as to give indications of the evidence of Trump's intent. If you go through that sort of uh, exercise, you wind up realizing that he's already avoided accountability on a whole host of things. And I could run down the list, but it'll, you know, it'll, it'll probably just nauseate you that he's already sure. gotten away with these. Um, but his conduct relating to the Flynn investigation, you know, asking, uh, sure. you know, can we, can we let him go? He asked Comey, pushing Comey to announce the Russia investigation was over, firing Comey. His efforts to fire Mueller were were extraordinarily strong in terms of the evidence of, of obstruction, as were his efforts to curtail the Mueller investigation, also very strong on the evidence, according to Mueller. I mean, this isn't my assessment. This is Mueller's assessment. Uh, efforts to have Jeff Sessions take over the investigation, right. his, his order to, to uh, Don McGahn right. that, that he should deny that Trump had attempted to fire Mueller, you know, very strong evidence there. All those are gone. The, the statute of limitations on all of those have gone by the board. There are a couple of interesting ones that are still out there that, that are still out there only because Trump pardoned people. So his, because he pardoned Manafort, that's going to kick the statute of limitations on encouragement of Manafort to, not to cooperate with the Mueller investigation in federal authorities. When he granted the pardon um, to Manafort, he kicked that statute of limitations out to May of 2025. So that one's still live, although do you think anyone in DOJ is actually looking at that as a potential charge against Donald Trump at this point? Personally, I don't. Same is true for Stone. That right. uh, it's very strong there, you know, encouraging Stone, be right. strong. You know, and, and, you know, Stone was strong. Stone went all the way to trial and conviction, and then Trump pardoned him. That statute of limitations, again, that goes till December of, of 2025. But okay. it's theoretical. It's it's. I don't have any great hopes for that. And and I guess realistically, he's got he's still got three big big problems, you know, brewing for him. Uh, one is yeah, in yeah. Georgia. Yeah, let's let's go through all those. 
Dick Nixon must be spinning his, in his grave, seeing how he got shown the door for obstruction of justice that was a lot, a lot less notable than what Donald Trump got away with. Oh, he's got to be—he's got to be delighted. He's no longer the the the, the modern-day uh, pariah among presidents, you know. So yeah, Trump has completely displaced him uh, in terms of uh, of those sorts of issues. You got the, the the case proceeding in Georgia. Yeah, let's talk about Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia better get going. I would hope sooner rather than later. I, I kind of expected Fannie Willis, the Georgia DA there, to to have indicted by now. And I'm kind of surprised that that it hasn't happened. But maybe the indictment in New York now is is prime the pump, if you will. By the way, I don't know if you remember, but Trump once said that the phrase prime the pump was his idea. He came up with that. I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of those more more notorious fact checks that he failed. The thing with Georgia and the reason she, she that, that something ought to be better if something happens sooner rather than later is that, you know, Kemp has sitting on his desk. I don't know if he's signed it yet. But he is sitting on his desk legislation that has passed the Georgia legislature that would create a commission that would have the power, appointed commission, that would have the, that he could stack with Republicans, Trump loyal Republicans, for that matter, who could fire district attorneys in Georgia, even though they're duly elected. And I'm sure that's their intent. You, you would think. I gather that really started because there were some, some prosecuting attorneys in Georgia who announced that, for example, they weren't going to prosecute personal possession of marijuana crimes. Well, God God forbid those guys have to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a major problem in this country. Yeah, there was another group, I think, another group or, or somebody down there, and again, a prosecuting attorney announced that uh, he or she uh, was not going to prosecute uh, so-called abortion crimes. Nevertheless, it's it's a tool that could, could come into play. I don't know how long it would take in order to get a commission like that up and going. But, boy, I should, sure wouldn't want to mess around with it if I were a, a Fulton County DA. Get it? Let's get it going. We've known enough about that case since January 7th. Right. To right. charge him there. So you got two other federal cases, special counsel, and he's not fooling around. He's now on the Mar-a-Lago documents case. He's now subpoenaed uh, Trump's Secret Service agents to testify before the grand jury on Friday, April 7th, according to news reports. So he's not messing around at all. Again, Jack Smith, he, and he's been pursuing aggressively enforcement of subpoenas for some of Trump's closest confidants, Mark Meadows. He wound up winning the, the effort to subpoena one of Trump's lawyers uh, based on the crime fraud exception that allowed him to pierce the attorney-client privilege, uh, Evan Corcoran. I mean, it's on. Now, are any of these going to go to trial before November of 2024? I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it, and you've already lost a hundred bucks to to your producer. I, you know, I wouldn't throw any. I wouldn't throw good money after bad on that one. Is he going to be indicted by one or more of those, you know, ongoing proceedings? I think so. Hope springs eternal. My glass is always half full, and I, you know, I'm one of those never give up kind of people when it comes to the rule of law. But that's the most important thing I think about what Bragg has done here. Trump's going to have defenses. Everybody knows that. He's going to throw everything he can legally to try to knock the charges out. He may be partially successful, you know, to a limited degree, but I don't know. He's not going to knock this thing out in its entirety, I don't think. What Bragg has done is he stood up and said, look, these are the kind of crimes we prosecute in New York every day. There's nothing special happening here. There's nothing special happening with respect to Trump. Nobody's targeting Trump. This is New York. And we're the, the financial center of the world. And, you know, 
financial documents have to be correct. And these are bread and butter kinds of charges that we bring every day in, in our office. I think that's good. I think that's encouraging. If, if nothing else happens, that's encouraging. I thought he looked uh, impressive as he just stood before the cameras and, and, and made his case. Well, he looked a lot better than Trump did, who looked a little green under the gills, if you ask me. You know, he was pretty somber. You know, it's no it's no accident that Trump's lawyers filed a motion asking that there not be cameras in the courtroom during the during his arraignment. Trump didn't want anyone to see him in that setting where he is all of a sudden the guy in the room with no power yeah. to control what's happening around him. That but, is that is not a friendly place for him. But alas, the cameras were allowed in before the proceedings started, so we have amp- we have tons of photos of him sitting there looking glum. Isn't that great? <laughs> yes, that yes great? it is. And and he looked he looked pretty glum going in too, and he didn't look real happy coming out. So this is going to be really interesting and based on what I assume is his panoply of of personality disorders, he could crack in a number of different ways. I don't know how or when. You see it increasingly on his posts. I don't. I'm not a Truth Social follower, but I I read about the stuff that he's been posting, and it is crazy stuff. Well, we're we're recording this before Trump gets to have his say down in Mar-a-Lago uh, a couple of hours from now, and we probably both agree that there probably won't be a legitimate sentence that comes out of his mouth that, uh, that that's true. What I'll be curious to see is whether any media other than Fox News covers it. Interesting. The, the way to deal with Trump is to starve him of the spotlight. That's true. That's the most effective way to deal with him. Now, I'm not going to watch it wherever it is. I'll read about it the next day, you know, tomorrow in, in the paper after you know, people tell me, you know, what his rants were. They're, it's all predictable, right? Although it was very interesting to me that in the uh, arraignment today, the prosecutor brought up the fact that Trump is already a danger to the people who are involved in the case, the judge, the judge's wife, the prosecutors. They've all been targeted by Trump's social media posts. Yeah, this is, this is Mussolini brown shirt stuff, kind of stuff, black shirts, brown shirts. Here's the yeah. thing, though. They've, they've laid down the marker, right? They've thrown down the baton, and so if he goes too wild, he'll find himself back in front of the judge. Yeah, right, right. The judge fired a warning shot over over the bow, saying, like, I expect this to all calm down. Yeah, and he was very judicious about it, according to what I've heard in the reports, basically saying, let's have everybody, you know, minimize the, it's our, it's, we all know it's going to be unusual. He brought both sides in, which is a common technique. It's a very smart thing for a judge to do. You've got, you've got one side that you're really worried about. These prosecutors aren't going to go off and say anything, you know, inflammatory. And the guy you really want to make sure gets the message, you give it to him, but you give it under the cover of sort of letting both sides know that you want to make sure that everything stays in a non-inflammatory way that's consistent with the way this judicial system no, is supposed to work. I think what you're saying is, is, is absolutely critical. I'm, I just picked up Michael Cohn's Disloyal, a memoir, where I, which I'd read a while ago, and opened it up thinking there might be something interesting in here, and it's exactly appropriate we're talking about. On page 207, Cohn describes talking to Trump, who said, I don't want to get money from a super PAC. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll self-fund the primary, but do it cheap. I don't need to spend a lot of money because we get all the free press we want. Cohn says, pause over that sentence and read it again and again and again. If you understand how Donald Trump became president, you have to grasp the essential fact that by far the most important element wasn't nationalism, populism, racism, religion, white supremacy, wasn't Russia lying, James Comey. All those were hugely influential. It wasn't Hillary Clinton, although heaven knows she did all she could to lose, 
No, the biggest influence by far by Country Mile was the media. And we still don't know how to cover him. I was watching yesterday. We're watching him, you know, oh, look, his plane. He's, here's the tarmac, and, and he's going from Mar-a-Lago to, and he's, there's the plane. He's getting on the plane. Oh, look, he's flying to, to New York. And, and then today, it was, it was like, I felt like I was watching the O.J. Simpson in the Bronco, Ford Bronco scene again. That's funny. One of the commentators made that very same comment. It was so reminiscent of that. Yeah. I mean, I understand the importance of indicting a president. That, that's historic. Okay, we get that. But, but the notion that what that means is that we have to monopolize every minute of the news cycle. They had a camera in the air with looking down at the five limousines. Uh, one of them had Trump in it going down the highway. Yeah. A, a week ago, there were three eight-year-olds and three adults victims of a mass shooting. Where's that in the news? What's happening in Ukraine? Where's that in the news? The, the media still has not figured out how to cover this guy. And that's because the way to cover this guy is to, sure, he, when he makes news, you cover it for sure. But you don't obsess over it. The problem is, I think, that when the media is focused on audience ratings or uh, website clicks or those sorts of things, then they, then they want what's, what's going to attract the audience, right? How many people were watching O.J. Simpson in the Ford Bronco uh, on the uh, Los Angeles freeways? Millions and millions and millions. Les Moonves was at Viacom or CBS. He goes, oh, yeah, Donald Trump was a gift. He was just wonderful for our ratings. He made us, made us millions of dollars. Exactly right. Well, I look forward to how you're going to cover this in Common Dreams, which I'm sure you're going to have something to say there, I hope. Yeah, I will. The one I'm working on now, I'm going to try to bring people back to the problem of guns in America, particularly as it relates to our kids. Oh, yeah. The NRA is in control of, of Republicans at this point completely. The theme I'm working off of is Republicans are all for the right to life, right? Right up until the moment of birth. Exactly. Then you're on your own. That's it. That's it. Unless you're wealthy and you want a tax cut, then there may be something we can do for you. I'll have more to say on this. Although, frankly, given the, the, the likelihood that there won't be any serious Trump developments until, well, Trump will start filing motions, but that won't happen for a while. There, there may not be a whole lot to write about for a while, uh, which would be fine, actually. Yeah, take a break. Yeah. When you do get around to writing something again, we'll have you come back on to talk about it, maybe in a... Whenever you want. Stephen J. Harper, always a pleasure. Please plug your websites again before you go. Sure. The Lawyer Bubble, that's my become my personal website, thelawyerbubble.com. My, my various timelines appear at billmoyers.com, uh, relating to Trump, Russia, the insurrection, and the pandemic. And if people want something to, to read, two of my books might be of interest to some of your readers. First was The Crossing Hoffa, a Teamsters story, which is a story of my dad's two-year tango with Jimmy Hoffa from 1959 to 1961. that almost resulted in my father's death. The other is The Lawyer Bubble, A Profession in Crisis, which is my take on how the uh, business school MBA-type metric mentality has destroyed the legal profession, among other things. All right, we're going to do a Hoffa show one of these days, too. You'll like it. It was, you know, it was the Chicago Tribune best book of the year, so somebody liked it. I, I said this before, but I didn't make good at it. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to go over to and order one from Amazon, but today I'm really going to do it. <laughs> no problem. All right. Stephen J. Harper, always a pleasure. Same here. Thanks a lot, Doug. Have a good evening. You too.
And we first joined doing this program uh, 20 odd years ago. I remember we did a long segment on the experts have spoken. <laughs> we, we cited a bunch of examples. Uh, the one that stuck in my mind that may or may not be true was Tris Speaker, the legendary baseball player, was quoted as saying, Ruth should stick to pitching. But I was never able to verify that he really said it. But we do know that Mr. Paul Jones, a, a columnist, I'm not sure exactly where he was a columnist, but he had some things to say back in 1964, I think I should quote from. Mr. Jones was expressing outrage at having just watched the Ed Sullivan program, which induced him to say, if Ed Sullivan can find no better use for the time allotted him on Sunday night than devoted to such exhibitions as he presented last Sunday night, I suggest that CBS TV find something else to put on in his hour of prime time. Why Sullivan found it necessary to aid in the phony promotion of four rock and roll exponents all of whom resemble Moe of the Three Stooges, is beyond comprehension. And why he felt it necessary to load the theater with screaming teenage girls when he normally restricts his audience to grown-ups is also a mystery. It was obvious to those who saw the Beatles, four young fellows from Great Britain, that they have not attained their present notoriety on the basis of their musical talents. For the sounds emanating from their mouths were anything but melodic. Shorn of their mop-like hairdo, they would look and sound like many other inferior rock and roll groups, which were still attempting to keep alive the fad which died when Elvis Presley entered the armed forces. Yes, that's right, Mr. Jones. When Elvis went into the army, rock and roll pretty much tanked. Yeah, that rock and roll, it'll never last. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, like all of them. And I was just kidding about him taking the 100 bucks and using it for hush money. He plans to donate it to KDVS in our annual pledge drive coming up. Listen to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week.